uh, I saw an article this week, and it was by a, a lady physician. And the title of the article was, Sometimes Children Don't Turn Out the Way You Wish They Did. Isn't that the truth? Uh-huh. This was a, a female physician, and she had a young four-year-old daughter. And she said she watched the daughter play with her stethoscope. And the child put the earpieces in her ears. She held up the end of the stethoscope, and she said, Oh, be still my heart. She wants to follow in my footsteps as a physician. Then she heard the little girl say, Welcome to McDonald's. May I take your order? Well, bless her heart, she didn't quite uh, follow in her mother's footsteps with that remark. And I know many times we have not uh, fulfilled the wish of our parents. But how many times have we not fulfilled the wish of our Heavenly Father? How many times have we gone in the wrong direction? Maybe went into the wrong vocation, married the wrong person. Certainly, in our daily lives, many times we have failed to fulfill that which God would have wished for us. His expectations, His wishes, His plan. None of us, and I mean none of us, have fulfilled it totally in every way. And so we know what it is to disappoint, don't we? Well, Peter understood that as well. He knew how to disappoint. He knew what it was to uh, deny our Lord. But what does God wish for us? Even though we're aware, like Peter was aware, that we have failed to live up to that which he wants, what does he want? Well, God still wants for us. He still wishes us for us to be absolutely committed so that until death we're serving him with absolute commitment. Let's just read that out loud because that's really what he wants, isn't it? He wishes for our lives to be absolutely committed to him so that until death... Peter struggled with that. He really struggled with that. He knew what it was to have a kind of spirit in him or personality within him that seemed to pull away from God rather than to follow God more fully. Does anybody in here say, well, don't raise your hands. I have that kind of personality, that kind of spirit. I, I just feel myself naturally pulling away from the things of God rather than naturally being drawn toward and closer to the things of God. I might have to raise my hand and say I'm in that group like Peter that somehow seemed to naturally just pull away. He understood that, and he failed the Lord so much, sometimes miserably. But as we read last week, God restored him. Remember, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And God restored him to a place of ministry. And it was, that ought to be gratifying for us. Because if God did it for Peter, maybe he'll do it for us, right? But God wants us to be so committed till the day we die. Now that takes a lot of things. It takes commitment. It takes endurance. I heard a story I told some of you on a Wednesday night. In 1983, Australia. Now if you've ever been to Australia, that's the way you say it. Now us Americans say Australia. But you don't even pronounce the U, by the way. It's Australia. 
And in 1983, they started the first ultra-marathon between Sydney and Melbourne. I wrote it down, 543 miles long. Now, that's a race. It takes five days. Most runners who had done ultra-marathons like that, and I am not amongst that number, they would run for 18 hours a day, sleep for six, get back up, run 18, sleep six, 18, six. Five days to run 543 miles. That's crazy. Amen. Somebody say amen. So the first one, a guy named Cliff Young shows up, dressed inappropriately. He had on boots. He had on overalls. They were shorts, but they were overalls. Middle-aged Cliff Young shows up. He later told people, now you need to understand, I, I work, I live on a sheep farm, 2,000 acres. I have 2,000 sheep. And we can't afford tractors and four-wheelers and all those things. So when it comes time to round up the sheep, he said, I'll run those sheep, chase those sheep, sometimes for three nights in a row. I've learned how to stay up. So they sh the gun goes off. And the race starts, the first ultra-marathon between Sydney and Melbourne, Australia. And they all take off like rabbits. Boom! Cliff developed what's called later the Cliffy Shuffle. He just starts shuffling. They leave him in the dust. First night comes, they all, in exhaustion, lay down to go to sleep for a few hours. Cliffy keeps on Keeps on keeping on. Well, guess who won the first ever ultra-marathon? Cliff Young, 1983. Everybody made fun of him at first, but after he won, nobody made fun of him ever again. By the way, he won $10,000. He said, I didn't know there was a prize for this thing. Ignorant man, he, he, but he was so nice, it endeared him to the people of Australia because he gave it all to the other participants. He said, I didn't need it. I didn't even know there was a prize anyway. Well, what does that speak to? It speaks to a spirit of kindness, yes, but a spirit of endurance that says, no matter if I fail, no matter if I fall, I'm going to keep on keeping on. And I'm going to serve the Lord till the day that I die. Well, Peter did. Peter did. I want us to look at the text to see what happened in his life because, you see, God was not through teaching Peter. He had already taught him in John 21, the first part that we studied last week, but he's got another message for him, and it was not always an easy message. In fact, he didn't really appreciate this continuing teaching. Sometimes we don't either. Look with me to John 21, and you are amongst the Blessed brethren and sistren. Why? Because you get to be a part of Frank Page finishing teaching on the Gospel of John, the entirety. We've gone through every verse as of today. Hallelujah, right? Aren't you glad it's over? Well, it's actually been a great study for me, and I hope for you. Well, let's look at verse 19 going through the end of the chapter. We did read verse 19 last week, but I want to pick up on it again and emphasize it quite a bit. 
He said this to signify. He, Jesus, said this to signify by what kind of death he, Peter, would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. Say it out loud. Follow me. So Peter turned around and saw the other disciple Jesus loved, who was John, the author, following them. That disciple was the one that had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and asked, Lord, who is the one who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him walking behind them, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? In other words, Lord, you've already told me now I'm going to die for you. What about this one? 22. If I want him to remain till I come, Jesus answered, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. So Jesus here gives a rather enigmatic response but says, it's none of your business, son. I'm asking you to follow me. So this report spread to the brothers that the disciple whom Jesus loved would not die. Yet Jesus did not tell him he would not die. But if I want him to remain till I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Look at verse 25. So there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose not even the world itself could contain the books that would be written. Two quick things this morning, and I want you to listen carefully. First of all, there is the need to give glory in our death. There is the need to give glory to God even in death. 1995, a blockbuster movie came out. One of my favorites. You're not supposed to watch it. It's too violent. Don't watch it. Don't even remember I said this. But it's, of course, Braveheart. And in Braveheart, one of William Wallace's great lines in his Pretend, by the way, we, uh, the actor, what's his name, was from Australia. Yeah, I know who it is. But anyway, he plays William Wallace. And in one of his Scottish brogues, he says, Every man dies, but not every man lives. You're all going to die, but let's see if you live. Well, are you going to die for the Lord? Are you willing to die for the Lord? That's what he wanted to know. And are you willing to live for the Lord? Well, first of all, there's a need to give glory to God in death. Look at verse 19. He had spoken earlier, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, shepherd my sheep. He had already talked about Peter's life and ministry. But now he talks about his death. I think it came as a shock to Peter. Quite a shock. Why bring this up, Jesus? I mean, really? You have not told another single disciple how he was going to die. And now you're singling me out, telling me how I'm going to die. I mean, really, Jesus? Why? why is this just to hurt me? <laughs> you know that was going through Peter's mind. Well, the first time that Jesus had spoken about his death, Peter had violently opposed it. You're, that, no, Jesus, that's not going to happen. And then when, Peter, when, when Jesus was arrested in the garden, Peter drew a sword. He's going to kill everybody. 
But now Jesus talks about his coming death. Peter had boasted he would die for the Lord. But when the tough got going, he began to deny the Lord. We remember that, don't we? But you see, anyone who yields to the Lord must honestly confront this matter of death. Someday you're going to die. Someday you're going to die. And I know some of you, particularly those of you who are younger, think, oh, yeah, I will someday, 50 years from now, 100 years from now. But I promise you, my friends, not a one in here knows when that day will come for you. I've done a lot of funerals for old folk, and I've done a lot of funerals for young folk. Nobody knows when that day will come. The question is, am I ready to die for the Lord? You see, when a person has settled the matter of death, then that person is really ready to live. Am I ready to die for the Lord? Then you're ready to live. And we as his followers must yield ourselves as living sacrifices, he says in Romans, and be ready to be offered up whenever he calls. Are you ready to die? Years ago, I was driving up the street somewhere. I think I was in Augusta, Georgia. Had a little Melissa with me. My oldest daughter and someone in the church had died. Sweet man. I don't even remember who it was, but I remember he was a good man. And little Melissa asked the most poignant question. She said, Daddy, was he ready to die? And I was able to say, yes, honey, he was ready to die. Are you ready to die? Now, don't give me the Sunday school answer, yes, because I asked Jesus into my heart 14 times seven years ago. Are you ready to meet him now? I pray the answer is an unqualified, unequivocal, yes, I am ready now. He wants us to be ready to be offered up because the day will come when he calls us home. The day would come, he says to Peter, when other people are going to take you where you don't want to go, Peter, and they're going to kill you, tradition tells us. Not in the Bible, but we hear from others that he was indeed crucified. And when the time of crucifixion came, someone asked him, please. He asked someone, please don't let me be crucified like Jesus because he, I don't deserve to be crucified like him. Crucify me upside down. And that's what they say happened. But he died. He died for the Lord, but Jesus gave him a heads up. Oh, my friends, you say, well, that's sad. But he says, I want you to know what kind of death you're going to die. Why? Because it's going to glorify me. It's going to glorify me. What happened to him brought glory to the Lord. And that ought to be our prayer, that when God calls me home and when it's time for me to die, I pray that my death will bring glory to him. I pray that my death will bring glory to him. Are you ready to die? Every man dies, but are you ready to live? Next we see there's the need to give glory to God in life. So as we look at the latter part of verse 19 through the remaining part of this chapter, Jesus must have made him at least happy by saying, I'm not done with you, Peter. Follow me. That ought to have brought new joy to him. Literally, however, in the Greek it means to keep on 
get, to keep on following, to keep on following. So for a moment, Peter had his marching orders. It must have brought joy to him. But what happened next is disappointing. Because Peter did what Peter had done before. He takes his eyes off Jesus. And let me tell you something, friends. Listen to me. Whenever you do that, you're in trouble. You're going to get yourself in trouble. Every time you take your eyes off Christ and start looking at other things, you're going to get in trouble. You remember my favorite passage in Hebrews chapter 12? What does it say? Wherefore, seeing we're encompassed about by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside our sin and the weight that doth so easily beset us, looking unto Jesus. Let us run the race that's set before us, looking unto Jesus. So the writer of Hebrews says so powerfully, we must keep our eyes on him. And Peter starts looking at someone else. What happened? The Bible says he hears somebody walking behind him. So he looks back, sees old John, and says, well, what about him? Okay, you've already told me, now I'm going to die. How about if Jesus came to you one night and says, you're going to die? Heard the story of a follower of Christ named Jim. Jim was unusual. Every nurse and the doctor in the hospital loved to come to his room because he was just different. He loved the Lord, and he was so just vibrant and fully alive. Everybody liked to come to his room. I had a friend like that. They used to, when he was in the hospital, they called it the Jesus room because you get in that room, he's going to talk about Jesus. Well, anyway, this Jim, he's just that way. He'd just pray. He'd just start praying. It wasn't, didn't matter who was in the room. He'd say, Lord, this is Jim. And Lord, I'm going to need your help today. One day the nurse came in and looked, and uh, he said, Well, honey, I want to just tell you I'll won't see you when you come back for your shift tomorrow. She got his chart and looked at it and said, Well, wait a minute. What do you mean? You're not that bad off, Jim. Oh, yes. Said, The Lord came to me and said, Look, said Jim, this is the Lord. I'm going to be taking you home today, Jim. Sure enough, Jim died that night. Well, what if the Lord came to you and said, I'm going to take you home tonight? Well, he said, now, wait a minute, Jesus, you've already told me, okay, I'm going to die. I'm going to bring glory to you, and that's good. What about him? Aren't you going to tell him how he's going to die? So he took his eyes off Jesus and put his eyes on another disciple. That had already happened twice, at least, in Peter's life before. In fact, at other times, in fact, if you'll remember, after he had caught this great catch of fish, he turned his eyes onto the fish in fact, later was able to say in Luke chapter 5 to Jesus, Lord, depart from me because I am a sinful man. Then another time he took his eyes off Jesus. He was walking on the water. You remember the story? It's told in Matthew where the water was just all stormy and Jesus was out walking on the water. And Peter jumps out, of course, and wants to walk to him. But what does he do? The Bible says he took his eyes off Jesus started looking at the storm. Let me tell you, when you take your eyes off Christ and you look at other people, you look at other circumstances, you look at whatever else you want to look at in life, we get ourselves into trouble. Oh, my friends, why did Peter look away? 
Well, we know because somebody was walking behind him. But the Lord rebuked him, reminded him he was to follow him. Quit meddling in other people's business. Oh, is that not a good word for us? Don't you have enough trouble of your own? Quit barring somebody else's trouble. Keep your eyes on me. To be distracted by ourselves, by circumstances, and by other people, even other Christians, is to disobey the Lord and to get detoured off his track. Read yesterday. Somebody sent it to me. Don't remember who. Oh, it's a friend in Charlotte. Pastor friend of mine named Brother Joe. This is May W. Tozier, of course, one of the greatest writers of human history outside of Scripture. Tozier said this, I'm not afraid of the devil. He said, the devil can handle me. He's got more moves than I've, ne I've ever heard of. But he can't handle the one to whom I'm joined. He can't handle the one to whom I'm united. He can't handle the one whose nature dwells in my nature. Oh, my friends, the devil can take care of you real easy if you get distracted. But keep your eyes on the one to whom you're united. Keep your eyes connected and on the one with whom dwells in your nature, the one with whom you are joined. You see, Jesus did not say that John would live till his return. He was misinterpreting the word. Nor did he say that he would die before he returned. As it was, John lived the longest of all the disciples. And we know he was able to talk about the Lord's return as he wrote under God's Holy Spirit leadership the revelation of John, the book of Revelation where he affirmed, again, the credibility of the witness. So we see him saying there in verse 24, this is the disciple who testifies of these things, who wrote them down. We know that testimony is true. So the book ends with Peter and John together following Jesus. And he led them right into the book of Acts. Oh, my friends, he is transforming lives today. And whenever the Lord finds a believer who is truly willing to live his or her, yield his or her life to the Lord, to be able to say, I'm going to die for Jesus and I'm going to live for Jesus, he begins to transform them in a powerful way. I want you to look at one last statement. I want you to read it out loud with me. We can succeed only as we permit him to transform us. Say it one more time. We can succeed only as we permit him to transform us. I ask you this day, are you ready to die? I'm serious. If he calls you home on the way home out of this church house, are you ready to die for him? Will your death bring glory? Will it be able to be said, she or he lived in such a way that they brought glory to me? And their death is an offering. Are you ready to die? Are you ready to live? We can succeed only as we permit him to transform us. We can only live for him as we permit him to transform us. Lord, 
take my life. Whatever's left, you can have it. Whatever's left, I want it to be lived for you. Lord, help me not to get distracted and see other people, see other circumstances, see my failures. Lord, help me to keep my eyes on you. Amen? Pray with me. Father, we do know that every man dies, but not every man lives as you would wish. And I pray, Lord Jesus, right now, that like Peter, we would be given another opportunity to serve even after failure. Lord, we know we've all disappointed you in some way, shape, form, or fashion. Through action, attitude, word, and deed. God, we need another chance so that someday we'll be able to die for you. So that we will live for you now. Forgive us for those times when we have got distracted by others. Distracted by circumstance. Distracted by the mess of life. Oh God, speak to us. Deal with us. Forgive us. So that like Peter, we can say, I follow you, Lord. We hear him say over and over, follow me, follow me, follow me. Don't get distracted. Follow me. Oh God, may we hear it. And may we respond to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Wherever he leads, I'll go is the song of invitation. It's a powerful one. Wherever he leads, I'll go. In life or in death, wherever he leads, I'll go. Let's stand. Let's sing. Let's respond as God leads.